G'day and welcome to the Pack of E podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson and on today's episode I'm interviewing Aliyah Sundaji who is the founder of Love the Grub. Now Love the Grub is a social enterprise and it was founded in 2018 and it's located in Vancouver BC. Um, today's conversation with Aliyah not only gets into the initial startup story of the uh, the business which is such a familiar thing for you all on the podcast um, but we also go into a lot of detail on grants and the resources available revolving around grants, uh, some business challenges that Aliyah's had, and also the value and huge importance of striking a work-life balance. And Aliyah's, um, you know, really went into a lot of detail on how she really is prioritizing her family above all else. So yeah, so much in this episode. I really appreciated Aliyah's honesty and authentic, genuine um, way that she went about the conversation she put everything into it and uh, yeah I'm sure that uh, while you're all listening to it today that you'll all nod along and agree that yeah it's conversations like this um, that mean the most and um, the ones that I enjoy the most here on the show now, before we do kick off into today's conversation with Aaliyah, I do want to give all of the first-time listeners out there a little bit of context behind the podcast and my motivation behind it. And I guess the best place to start is that I run this podcast off the side of my desk. And my full-time job is with a packaging company called Food Pack, and we are located in Vancouver, BC. And uh, what we do is we help food-based CBG businesses um, put their product into some really great packaging, and we also help them out with packaging equipment as well. And when I started at Food Pack a little over two years ago, I'd come from the coffee industry and I was out there chatting with business owners and operators just like you and the vast majority of the people that I have on this show. And, you know, when I was out there, I was talking about their businesses and their challenges. And that's where I really had the idea of documenting and publishing these conversations in a podcasting format. Um, because there's just so much that we can all learn from them. And I guess here we are at episode 98. And, um, you know, I find that just absolutely mind-blowing. That's 98 great conversations. It's 98 hours of conversations, basically. Um, and the conversations have really turned, or this podcast, sorry, has really turned into a great resource for everybody out there. As I guess there is an infinite amount of lessons that can be learned when you're talking to somebody who has gone all in and they're executing on their vision which was also the inspiration behind the name of this podcast, Pack Heavy, because more than anything, I find that these people are packing heavy on their vision. Um, they're all in, and it's a mindset and a mentality that I really respect, and it's something that I aim for in my life as well. So yeah, I hope that all sort of gives you all a little bit of insight into the podcast. Um, let's get on with episode 98, and uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoy it. Cheers. All right, Aliyah, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm so glad that uh, that I could rope you into coming on to the show. Um, I think I reached out to you on LinkedIn um, and I can't remember who put your name in my mind and said, you need to speak to Aaliyah. I can't remember because I'm getting referrals all the time. Do you remember who it was? I think it was a gentleman I met at Planted Expo. Oh, um, Justin. Justin yes. from Justos. Yes. Yeah. You're right. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, it was, uh, they were right next to us. So. That yeah. was perfect. Okay, cool. And you guys have got the common connection of having Hope do both of your design work. Hope is awesome. Isn't yeah. she? Yeah. Yeah, she's so cool. She uh she reached out to me on link or no, on Instagram and she's like, Hey, if you ever need um any type of branding work, design mm -hmm. work, and I was like, actually, you know what? I've been really rethinking my design labels. So mm -hmm. um it was a perfect timing and she's she just gets it. She's awesome. Yeah, she does. Um, I spoke to Hope on the phone uh, last week and we're going to tee up an interview for early in the new year. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, she's a gem. 
That's sure. cool. Now, I'd love to obviously dig into sort of the whole brand piece and so on and uh, some of the work that you did do with Hope. But I was spending some time on your website and just to kick things off, I um, mean, your website's stunning. The The photography in there is almost artistic. It's like it's got this real sort of like design element to it. And it kind of reminds me of uh, Lumi or Blue Heron Creamery. I knew Blue Heron for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there are aspects to your website design and um, photography uh, that, you know, resonate with me and, and hers. That's, it's very much in alignment. You should check it out. I would definitely will. Yeah, mm. no, absolutely. Yeah. We have a really cool photographer. Her name is Doa. Yeah. Um, and uh, she did Kula's as well. And uh, she's, she's awesome to work with as well. Like that's another plugin for yeah. another really cool um, creative yeah, out there, out in the world to utilize. Totally. Cool. Awesome. So I like to start it off uh, by asking everybody a little about um, the person that I'm interviewing. So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? In East Vancouver, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. As local as it gets. Which is rare. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as local as it gets, because usually you ask people in Vancouver where they're from and they're it's from very here. rare, to, not from Vancouver. Yeah. And so yeah. they're like, where in Va like Vancouver, Vancouver. I'm like, yeah, I'm born and raised in East yeah. Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. And uh, it would have changed a lot over the years because, you know, I moved out to Canada for the first time in 2007. I came out to do a ski season in Lake Louise, but I was in Vancouver for like three four nights before I made the trip across the Rockies. And even in that time span, like I obviously live here now, my wife, like we settled in 2015, but there's been so much change. It's ever evolving. But from when you grew up to where we are today, like how much has it evolved? Oh my God. <laughs> it's just incredible. Like mm. population wise, development wise, mm -hmm. um, just the scene in general. Like I even left for 10 years and got back. Did you? And I was yeah. like, it was just a whirlwind of change yeah it's 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 vancouver it's uh it's home but it's like doesn't feel the same as when i grew up it's, yeah um, yeah yeah interesting where'd you go for 10 years i went to east africa spain france lived in montreal <laughs> lived in toronto lived in calgary yeah uh for work and school got you got you uh travel is uh it makes such an impact on you doesn't it Oh my gosh, you see the world in such a different way. Don't you? Like the perspectives that you have. Yeah. It's probably one of the best things. Like I have two kids and mm. it's going to be my biggest advice to go out there and get perspectives and mm -hmm. um, yeah, travel is your biggest, one of the biggest life lessons, I think. Mm. I agree. And um, yeah, it's something that I've obviously done. I'm living on the other side of the world to where I grew up. Um, yeah. You gain a, a huge appreciation for the place that you grew up and where you come from. Um, and when you come home, I think obviously two things have changed. You mentioned that Vancouver's changed over the years, but you obviously changed too and, and seeing it through a different light. So, um, you know, I guess they were also pretty formative years for you, like, you know, growing up through over a 10 year period and, uh, and coming home with fresh eyes and obviously a lot's changed. You've got kids now. How old are they? Got an almost nine-year-old and an almost two-year-old. Um, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. They keep me busy. I like got them out the door, and then it's like, <laughs> oh, I got a podcast. <laughs> Just yeah. <laughs> Life is different once you have kids, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah my stepson is the one that's a nine, almost nine-year-old. So got yeah. Um, that was two years ago that I got my first introduction to to being a mom, and yep. my life yep. was so different before that. Mm -hmm. It's great and different and. But so it's, it, yeah, it's, it's challenging sometimes yeah. to be an entrepreneur and being a mother, but it gives you oh this gosh. other lens, which makes you reprioritize a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, in a way that's it's been a blessing because it forces me to outsource as much as I can. Mm. Yeah, no, good call. Um, I've spoken to lots of parents on this show who are doing exactly what you're doing, you know, um, battling home life. I'm not, I use the word battling as if it's a negative, but it sometimes can be a, a positive battle, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, but also the battle of entrepreneurship and, you know, how they go hand in hand because, you know, you can't just switch one off and, you know, and then it's, uh, you know, they're completely, they go hand in hand, you know. Um, my kids are five and three. And uh, yeah, it's, you know what, like we're going through a really funny transition right now because my little boy, Zave, he's he's not little anymore. You know, he's growing into a boy just starting kindergarten. We're going through all of those changes and sort of learning how to parent a, a, uh, someone who is really smart, like all five, five-year-olds. And, uh, you know, working with that transition and then a little three-year-old at the same time is challenging too. So yeah, we're going through it just like you. <laughs> oh man, parents deserve another medal or something you yeah. know like yeah. it's it's not easy for sure yeah. now um this journey of entrepreneurship isn't new for you i see that you have um obviously been working for years you started at tim hortons you were in a marketing role but then um you started a business called live and lola what was that all about yeah so i worked at tim hortons for six years on their marketing and branding side which was like the biggest i i'm, I'm so thankful i did that before i went into entrepreneurship because it right. taught me on someone else's dime mm. about everything that you need to know um, about a brand on a big, big budget, which you'll never get on when you're having your own business, but it helps you understand just like the elements of, you know, running a business on such a large scale. Um, I did that for six and a half years. And then um, I just got tired of like not doing something with a purpose. And I always wanted to do something with a purpose. I learned about social entrepreneurship when I was in university and, mm -hmm. you know, having a business with a purpose really, really rung um, close to my heart. Because when I was in business school, I was kind of regretting that I should have become a doctor because doctors do well and get paid well as well. And I was just like, well, I don't want to do business anymore. But then I learned about social entrepreneurship. Didn't know what I was going to do. Um, worked at Tim Hortons for a long time. Started not feeling good. And then... Um, and then I decided to take a leap and start a social business because Burger King was buying out Tim Hortons at around that time. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had made it known that, you know, please take me. I don't, I, I don't really want, I'm not really feeling it anymore. Yeah. So thankfully I got laid off and right. it bought me some time, like eight months of pay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I started Live in Lola, which is um, a social business in Central America that works with women living in poverty in rural areas right. where employment areas are, uh, where employment opportunities are scarce. Yep. And what we do is we teach them how to make home decor and apparel using their traditional techniques of weaving. Yeah. Um, and we were selling that across Canada, United States and Australia. Wow. Okay. Is the business still operational now? Is something still no. going? No. Okay. No, there's a lot of, um, it was challenging because there was a lot of sanctions that the U.S. put on Nicaragua. Mm. Um, and so be doing trade with Nicaragua and getting goods in and out was really difficult. Mm. Um, as well, my partner, who I worked with on, on that business, she had a baby and she decided to reprioritize. Yeah. Um, you know, thank, I, I totally get it now that I'm a mom. Yeah. Um, and so we had to close that business for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, just a quick one. I think you might be putting your hand on the microphone or something. It's oh. it might be a bit muffled at times. Okay, yeah. I'll talk a little bit louder, maybe. No, well. that's okay. All good. Yeah. Um, closing a business. 
it's uh it's tough isn't it i've been through that process myself of like getting a startup off the ground figuring out how it can potentially operate and then making a hard decision to close its doors after a while and i gotta say for me there was just as much learning in the process of you know uh closing it down not only the emotional process that i was sort of had to go through and how it impacted me and um, the financial implications of it all, but then, yeah, the actual like task of closing it down and working with, you know, a legal team and accounting team and so on to make that happen. It's, it's an emotional roller coaster, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's so close to your heart too. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, living Lola was just so dear to my heart because, um, you know, we connected with the women that we worked yeah. with and now yeah. to have to be able to close those doors yeah. to that employment opportunity that we worked so hard to create, mm. like that was probably I mean, the paperwork stuff was really, really difficult, but that was probably the hardest part for us was just uh, closing that door. But, um, you know, it taught me some lessons. Mm. It was a great opportunity. Um, we've kind of like helped the women that we work with, you know, find different opportunities. And so um, everybody evolved. But uh, yeah, it, it's definitely difficult. You yeah. know, it's like a child. It's like another child that you have. Everybody yeah. says it businesses are like your babies but they really are they don't turn off you know there's something that you grew and you cultivated and now you got to close them so yeah it's difficult absolutely yeah yeah now I'm certain of the fact that you know because of the process of going through that um you know there were some lessons that were learned that you were able to um attribute to um you know developing um what you've got now and love the grub and you know not make those mistakes again, for example. And I'd love to sort of get into those uh, with you, but why don't you start off by sort of giving everybody a little insight into sort of what the love, the grub is, um, where the idea came from and, and then we can sort of continue on that path. Yeah, totally. So love, the grub is a social food business that captures ugly produce or produce seconds that were destined for the landfill just because they don't have that aesthetic um, nature to them that, you know, retailers would want them. And we capture them from the farms and the produce levels, and we turn them into chutneys and spreads. We also hire newcomer refugees and as well um, racialized single mothers escaping domestic violence through some partnerships that we have. Okay. Um, And we sell them in, yeah, the local market. Perfect. I have seen your product out on the shelves and I got to say, um, you know, we were talking about hope before the brand is outstanding and it really does set itself apart on the retail shelf as well, which is such a, a critical thing. And I love chutneys. Like I grew up eating both fruit and savory chutneys and relishes. And so it's something that I absolutely love. So I completely get it. Uh, where did you get your first taste of relishes and chutneys? Oh my gosh. I grew up on them. I'm, I'm- yeah. And so um, my whole thought was like with chutneys, so I knew that there was like a huge issue with like food waste mm. and because I teach sustainable innovation at SFU as well. Yes. Um, and so my students actually brought me the research of how much produce seconds wasted that was getting wasted just at the BC level. Mm. Um, and I was like, well, what would we do with it? And I was like, well, let's make chutney. It doesn't matter what it looks like once you chop it up. Um, so chutney because... There's so many varieties of chutneys out there, but in North America, we just lean on mango chutney. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very, like, it's in the ethnic aisle, you know, we only really associate it with eating Indian food, but really there's so many applications, there's so many Mm. varieties, like, you know, from travel, seeing in South Africa, there's a huge influence of, you know, chutneys and as well in, in England and everywhere else. And so I really wanted to bring that variety into, you know, the North American market. Is there anything better than a slice of fresh sourdough toast with butter and chutney and like a real sharp cheddar cheese? 
there's nothing better. <laughs> like everybody's like, oh, how do you use this? And I was like, in the morning, liberally. I tell them, yeah, liberally. <laughs> They're like, really? You put that with your in in the morning with your morning toast? I was oh, like, yeah, yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah, put some cheese and some chutney and a toast. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That yeah. pear walnut chutney is my favorite, and oh. like, I'm good to go. Holy moly! Yeah, my dad makes amazing homemade sausage rolls, like with mm. a really good pastry. And uh, yeah, his chutney or relish on the side of a sausage roll is just out of this world. It's very cool. It's key, yeah. yeah. You gotta have that. You gotta have that chutney on the side to to do that dipping. I know. It's perfect. I know. Yeah. So big fan. So I just want to say I love the idea of the upcycled fruits and like finding a solution for something that's otherwise going into the waste room. And I think that's just so important these days. And it's similar to what Sarah at Chiwis is doing. You Do you know mm-hmm. Sarah from Chiwis? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So she's getting imperfect fruits as well, um, whether it's the kiwi fruits or the mangoes and obviously they're drying them out and turning them into like a snack, which is awesome. So mm-hmm. it's something that's being done out there. So I think the marketplace is starting to understand that this is an issue and, you know, that there is a use for these fruits vegetables um now what was sort of the initial sort of um early phase looking like was it something that you guys went straight into a test test kitchen and sort of developed and then did some sampling or how did you sort of go about getting it off the ground um i was really lucky so i was so live in lola i was doing live in lola and then sfu found out that i was doing live in lola so they said hey do you want to teach a course and how do you create a business with a purpose. And I was like, yeah, I've never taught before. It sounds like a cool kind of challenge. And so I started doing that, then learned about the produce second waste. And then in the class that my students were talking about the produce second waste, there happened to be the sustainability manager for city of Surrey sitting in my class, just happened to be there. She's like, I'd love to come and observe your class. You know, I've heard about, um, you know, SFU sustainable innovation class. And so she sat there, she came up to me after the class and she's like, you seem pretty fired up about this food waste pro seconds going into waste. Like, why is this happening? She's like, if you ever think of something that you want to do, could you contact me? Because I'd like to get behind it. Um, and at that point I didn't even have any ideas at all. Yeah. And so I was really, really lucky. The idea of love the grub came from a a bunch of different, um, influences, but it was also because I went to homeboy industries in LA Mm -hmm. and I learned about how they hire previously incarcerated gang members through Mm -hmm. all their social businesses. And so I said, you know, let's combine this element of environmental waste with socioeconomic development and put it together and create love the grub. I went to the city of Surrey pitched them the idea and they said, let's just help you incubate it, which I was really lucky to do. Mm. And so they hooked me up with um, some commercial kitchens, which is big. Yeah. Um, they were small, they're small, but they're great for testing out the idea. Yeah. Um, and we literally went to a farmer in Vancouver or in BC and said, let me start with your apples. He's like, great. I've got too many apples. I don't know what to do. Went into the kitchen. We just started experimenting. Um, yeah, and just taking it to the farmer's market, getting some ideas and feedback, and there we went. Yeah, yeah. So farmer's markets is, you know, one of those common themes that I was talking about earlier on that is such a critical piece in getting a business operational. Um, what was the feedback like initially? Were, were there great conversations? Like people obviously love the product, but sort of how were the conversations going and what sort of surprised you? Yeah, I mean, like you said, farmer's markets are so such a great opportunity to validate your concept Mm. at a very low cost, right? Like to, to go into a farmer's market isn't very expensive. You can take a kind of a rough idea of what your product is like, and you could just get feedback in real time with people trying your products. Um, and so 
the feedback was really, really good. Um, obviously, there's some products that we took in and out based on the feedback that we got. But um, I really wanted to test the idea of like, are people re um, like, are they okay with the fact that I'm using ugly produce mm. to make this product, or are they having a negative reaction to that? And the there was no negative feedback about that end of things. All they really cared was, does it taste good? Um, and you know, is there lots of applications for it? And we got great feedback and that there we went. Yeah. A story behind a brand is so important as well. And you've obviously got this story and it's a real story and it's making a, an impact on lives. What was the reception to that? Was that something that resonated with the buyers as well? Absolutely. I mean, so the, the refugee piece that we hired newcomer refugees is because yeah. my mom is a refugee. My partner is a refugee. Um, and being able to kind of say, you know, this is why I'm doing this is because yes, I'm here to make a great product, but really the, the mission behind it is really what drove me to do it, you know? Um, and I think people can see that sincerity when you're talking mm. about it mm -hmm. and that real connection to it. Um, and so, yeah, people were like, it tastes great. It's doing some really great things in our environment and for mm -hmm. our people and I'm behind it and it just started selling and we went from there. Yeah. Um, some of the early conversation that I have on the podcast always revolves around the resources that are required to get the business operational. And you just said you went to the city of Surrey and pitched it and they were happy to support you. But I also see that you've been the recipient of a lot of sustainability awards and, uh, and grants. So talk to us about sort of the impact that um, applying and receiving grants has had on the business. And I'm sure you're an expert grant writer now as well. And I'd love some <laughs> insights there for everybody too, because there are so many grants out there for people. And I don't think that A, people know about them or B, know how to actually go through the process. So yeah, any insights there? Yeah, I mean, we were really lucky. I mean, City of Surrey was the one that was like, hey, did you know about this grant or this grant? And, I, and ours is a for-profit social enterprise. Um, and I had the perception that it had to be a nonprofit to be able to get grants, but that's mm -hmm. not the case. And so I was really surprised to be able to do that even as a for-profit social enterprise. And so um, there's a lot of grants out there. There's a really great um, new app and um, application that my friend created named mm -hmm. um, Pocketed. Pocketed. Her, she's awesome. Her name is Brianna. She's also got a partner. I can't remember her, her business partner's name is, but they give you notifications in your email about different grants that are available. Mm -hmm. um, and you first go through their, their website and you say like, I'm a for-profit, but these are my missions. And then it links based on what your missions are or how your business is, um, you know, Structured. formulated structured yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and then it just matches you and so you you get a lot of notifications and uh, that really really helps as well that's cool what was it pocket it p-o-c-k-e-t p-o-c-k-e-t-e-d pocketed all right i'm going to put a link into the show notes for everybody out there so that you can scroll down and check out the website but that sounds like an amazing resource thank you for that yeah she's uh they won this award from the forum which is a really another great resource mm. for entrepreneurs to be part of i teach through them as well okay um and they won the award last year and they're just they're flying they're doing such great work um, that's cool yeah so that's a great way to like find out what grants are available mm -hmm. um and grant writing i mean like really i don't think there's any science to it you know your business so well mm. you just speak to your business i i find that like i don't come from a grant writing background at all but I just kind of like, you know, they tell you what's the mission of the business and you write it down. What's the structure? What's, you know, what's the project like? And so um, I think it's kind of intuitive. Um, it's not as intimidating as I thought it was. Yeah. 
Um, and you just go question by question and I find that the grant writing world or the agencies that are providing the grants are really friendly and if you have questions I just like hey what does section this mean and how yep. do I answer that and they, yep. they're right there to help you and so um, yeah. That's awesome. Um, it reminds me of a conversation that I had with the girls from Remix Snacks. Um, they're a business out in Ontario and they honestly got the vast majority of their business funded through grants, you know, whether it was um, assisting in, um, you know, paying their employees, uh, marketing expenses, social media expenses. I remember that was a really good episode. So I'll also pop the, um, that episode number down in the show notes as well. If anyone wanted to continue on the journey on sort of this grant writing and, you know, the value of um, leveraging grants can have to your business. Uh, Cause that's another really uh, good example throughout that conversation of yeah. Leveraging grants. Um, some of these grants obviously give you some really good uh, credibility out in the marketplace. And I'm sure that, you know, being the recipient of these grants also gives you some, you know, really good media exposure. Um, now I can imagine, and I've, when I was um, researching you on LinkedIn as well, you have been, um, you know, lucky enough to have received some really nice exposures online and uh, in print as well. What kind of value did that bring? Like, did that bring not only a little bit more um, awareness around your business, but did it actually boost sales? Like, especially during those earlier days? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like people getting to know what you do and um how you do it and like the story behind it like just mm. having that space to be able to tell a little bit more holistically about your product and brand rather than yeah. just on the shelf like people yeah. don't get to know who you are why you do it um on the shelf you're just a, a, you know another product on millions of other products mm. but to have that space and that that voice and that exposure it's huge mm -hmm. yeah and so you know and um it exposes to so many like company purchases like, you know, like Bell purchased a huge amount of product from us last year for their employee gifts. Oh, wow. Because, yep. um, and that was a great revenue boost because they were looking for a product that does good and does well, but also is a great gift. Yeah. And, you know, we hit the mark on all that. And I'm sure that the exposure that we got kind of like let them know that that's what we were doing. And so, yeah. um, it, yeah, it's huge. I mean, we're very lucky. Another great partner that's giving us so much exposure is Van City. Mm. Um, and Van City has like the community partnership grant. I didn't yep. write that on my website, but um, we were the recipient of that last year. Congratulations. And thank you. Yeah, they, they're just a great partner. And so if you're a Van City member and you're running a business, you should tap into, you know, the resources that they have because there's a ton of grants available and it's not just once, it's every single year that you can apply for them. Mm. They really, really help, especially with the economy right now. Yeah. Um, and how everybody probably talking to you about this, but how expensive things are. Um, it just, you need those boosts. And I think um, the time that's, that's required to kind of invest in looking for them is, is worth it. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, couple of things. Yes. The cost of everything is going up right now. And I can't imagine, you know, with you being obviously a for-profit social enterprise, obviously, main, and, and being the lucky recipient of all of these grants, you'd be wanting to be extremely, um, you know, careful with all of the funds that you do receive and how you're distributing it. And obviously with the cost of all of your goods and, um, increasing i can imagine that would definitely take its toll on things but you know also having imperfect fruits you know is a really nice way to access you know quality product that's getting put into your chutney at a cheaper price too yeah. there's a yeah actually you know what in a way it's cheaper but yeah. in another way it's more expensive and i think that that's the perception that i would right. love to bring some light yeah to. please do yeah so i thought you know working with imperfect fruit it's great because it's environmentally friendly, like by, mm -hmm. by, you know, emitting or reducing 
um, waste that goes into the landfill. Um, and then the product itself is cheaper, which is absolutely true. Mm. But when you compare the cost of then adding labor to process it, Mm. the cost of your facility to process it to then buying fruit that's already prepared for you and processed, it actually ends up being more expensive. Really? Yeah. Which is a, Something that like I'd love to let, shed some light on is because people expect you to be cheaper than the other mm. chutneys because mm-hmm. you're using imperfect fruit, but it ends up actually and costing us more to do it because yeah we just have to we have to spend more time to take the brown parts off yeah. or yeah. you know process it or um, you know repackage it whereas when you buy it from like a large distributor who's got mm. all the machinery to like yeah. process it yeah it does end up being a lot more. So that's kind of like a difficulty in scaling this, this, um, this concept I yeah. feel. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's incredible how, like when you're writing down, you know, your ideas of a business, you've got a, a ton of assumptions and that was an assumption that you proved wrong over time. Um, how has your business sort of changed from those initial days of you sketching it out? Everybody says on the back of a napkin, but let, let's not go that far, but like, you know, sketching the business out and, uh, actually like when rubber hit the road and here you are a little bit, you know, obviously, you know, you've been existing for a while now since 2018. So you've learned a lot over those years. If you reflect on where the business is now to those initial early stages. So what are the critical pieces that have changed? Um, just the scale that we produce right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we produce obviously a lot more in scale. We're not cooking at a community kitchen. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're really cooking in these large steam kettles. Cool. Um, and now we're actually going to be working with a co-packer that kind of um, believes in what we're doing and is helping us kind of um, with with the kind of like mission that we have. Yes. Which is challenging and not challenging. That's a whole other piece. Yeah. Um, but we need to have that co-packer because we can't fulfill the orders on our mm. own. Mm-hmm. with you know the equipment that we have and yeah. access to in a commercial commissary kitchen um so it's evolved in the fact that like we've ha- got to figure out how to scale but somehow still deliver on our mission which is a challenge for mission-driven mm. businesses because you're not just looking at profit you're looking at people on the planet as well yeah um so it's evolved a lot and there's a lot of thinking because you're trying to deliver on three missions at all times but still trying to deliver to a larger and larger amount of you know retail consumers and um distributors and the whole shebang yeah it's huge um justos the team at justin that we just mentioned before from justos they've actually just moved their business model from producing their own product in-house to moving across to a co-packer and that provides challenges um that you know we discussed and one of them was obviously maintaining the integrity of the product and the mouthfeel and the consistency and the ingredients and all of that kind of stuff because as you suggested scaling things change whether it's a recipe changing or the equipment that you've got to use all of those things you've got to take into account um and also the cost of uh incorporating a co-packer into your margins is also makes an impact too and then yeah you've also got the extra thing to consider which is the social impact that it has on your business so yeah so much to consider um yeah. how big is your team like who are you evaluating all of these ideas and decisions with it's about four or five four and then like a fifth one that's part-time as well yeah got yeah 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 are you guys meeting frequently or how do you all meet and sit down and, and work on the business we're just like do it remote we all have other side gigs on the side and i think that's why we haven't scaled as fast as like maybe like a traditional business that goes 100 yeah. percent in yeah yeah um and so you know i still teach i still you know um i work with some other incubators and then i've mm-hmm. got love the grub 
I have the problem because I love everything. And so I don't know what to give up and I don't want to give up any of it. And that, that just means our growth of business has been slower Got ya. and yeah. I'm okay with that. Like I'm yep. not really on like any type of tight schedules for anything, but mm-hmm. now we're with a distributor, which is really exciting. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, we need more product. And I'm like, well, now you got to look at a co-packer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we meet kind of remote in person when we can. It's not, we definitely don't sit down, you know, five days a week. Yeah. We're not all in the office. Got it's ya. just, um, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That would provide challenges as well as, you know, obviously benefits, but challenges as a team, what challenges are you sort of confronted with the most? Like, obviously when you're working remotely and everybody's dialing into Zoom or something like that, like what kind of things do you have to focus on to ensure, you know, a smooth um, flow of communication and to ensure that everybody's on the same page? Yeah, we have some project management tools. I've been really lucky just because, you know, I've done so much project management. Like for Tim Hortons, I was helping manage like a team of 30. We would go all the way from like idea all the way to full, full launch. Mm -hmm. And like being able to coordinate with like our legal team and our nutrition and marketing. And so I have a background in being able to use project management tools. Um, And we're all very self-sufficient. We're all very like, you know, no micromanaging necessary. We're all business owners within the larger business. Like Mm -hmm. I say, treat it like your own. Um, And so we just have checkpoints and we we go through the checkpoints. We use, we're fans of Asana and Trello and Slack and all of those things. And it helps us keep on track and and still kind of like let us do the other stuff that we really love as well. Because I think yeah. my entire team is like me, where we all have so many interests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't live without Trello. I've got a food pack Trello board. I've got a podcast Trello board. I've got a life Trello board. Um, I just actually resigned from um, the board where I live, um, like essentially the strata. I live in a co-op uh, mm. just because I had so much going on in life and I had to let something go. And so I don't have the co-op Trello board anymore, which is kind of nice. Um, but yeah, couldn't live without Trello. It's a, it's a great tool. And if anyone out there isn't aware of Trello, it is... I don't know what would you describe it. I mean, I've used it for project management at times, but it's not as specifically a project management tool, but it's sort of a great tool for organization and flow and sort of how would you describe it? Just like checklists for different yeah. parts of your life, I think, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you just like have little buckets for like, imp- well, we, we, we name ours mm-hmm. as like in progress uh, or like tasks in progress completed and we just yep. move tasks over and we like add sticky and tabs. assign. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah. That's exactly how I use it. And yeah, couldn't live without it, especially in the sales process for me. Like I've got like early conversations, I've got obviously leads and they turn into prospects. And I just essentially, you could think of it like a a sales um, funnel. So I just progress everybody through the funnel right through to like product is landed. And it's awesome. Like I couldn't keep on track of it all unless I utilized a tool like that. And it's free as well, which is great. So yeah, I'll also put a link in the show notes for anyone out there if they wanted to explore Trello, but I couldn't manage my life without it. (laughs) No, I know. I'm the same as you. I have like life, teaching, love the grub. Like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's perfect. Isn't it? Uh, Let me write that down. Trello. Okay. Marketing, sales, and distribution. You just mentioned before that you've onboarded a distributor. Who are you working with? Dover. We love Dover's them. Dover's great. Rick. Yeah, Rick we love them. Oh my gosh, love Rick. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's such a personality. He Isn't is he? awesome. Yeah. Uh, we got really, really lucky to be able to be with Dover. Uh, feel very lucky to be in that catalog yeah. alongside so many other specialty food. Yeah. It's a good match because there's like, you know, specialty cheeses and crackers Mm -hmm. and spreads and Mm -hmm. it just feels like the right place to be. Actually, you're totally right. Like it. Yeah. You're uh, you'd fit into their portfolio really well. I, um, I knew Rick, he actually came onto the show early on. He was like probably one of the top 15 episodes in terms of like when they occurred. 
uh, the first 15 episodes. And uh, yeah, I know Rick from my days when I was at Salt Spring Coffee because Dover is a distributor of Salt Spring. Um, but we've got quite a lot of clients here at Food Pack that use Dover and everybody speaks so highly of them and their sales team and, and the work that they do. Yeah. Really, really great. Rick and um, Monica is phenomenal. Like is another shout out. She's been so supportive of us and like not only like bringing us on as a brand, but giving us suggestions of how to just navigate the space. Mm. Um, it's been really, really helpful. They're yep. a great team. What is your strategy to navigate the space? How are you going about it? How am I going about it? <laughs> Just try to figure it out as we go along. This food space thing, like I thought like, hey, I worked at Tim Hortons for so long and, you know, with the big brand. Yeah. I should know stuff. No, I don't know anything. It's always like a learning game the mm. whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really lucky that my husband has a, a number of companies on his end. Um, and so he's been really like a great mentor about how do you um, manage a business, but not have to be a hundred percent in it all the time and kind of like outsource as much as you can. Cause he's a big proponent of like life family balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's like the best dad. Like I know it shouldn't be about him, but like, um, he's the best dad and he prioritizes life and business around that. Mm-hmm. And so it's really been able to, like, I've been really taking from him because he's grown his companies um, quite successfully. Yeah. Um, so just like how I'm navigating it is how I can I remove myself as much as possible. And so, um, you know, the co-packing thing, we're trying to find a co well, we found a co-packer that we're like yeah. navigating our mission with also helping us deliver our scale and the integrity of their product. And they're really great. They're La Stella Foods, lovely. La Stella. Listella, they're a really yeah. lovely team, yep. family, family owned. Yes. Um, really, really wonderful. Um, and so, you know, gives me time. I'm trying to like outsource as much as that kind of like the, the marketing, the branding, so I can do what I really love, which is the innovation side of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really want to go back into because Lucky okay. Grub has had the five products for so long. And I'm yeah. like, well, I didn't call it Love the Chutney for a reason. I wanted to really do other stuff. Yeah, got yeah. Yeah, so just making space, and that's kind of how I'm navigating it, I guess. Understood. So when you're looking at the future and you're thinking about innovation, and like you said, you've called it Love the Grub, like what other things come to mind and sort of how do you guys plan on expanding the the variety that you have and sort of how are you moving forward into the next sort of two to five-year period? Yeah, just going into other spreads because, I mean, the nice thing with um, canning is that you take ugly produce, and if you can it, it lasts two years at Mm -hmm. least. Yeah. 18 months or two years. And so yep. looking at other ways that we can use other varieties of fruits and vegetables, um, and then, you know, turning them into canned or, um, spreads, chutneys and relishes and the Got whole ya. thing. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of how we're going to be evolving, but, uh, I have a whole bunch of products up my sleeve that cool. I've been waiting to take on or yeah, take yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, um, you know, you'd spoke about early days, you know, being at the farmer's market and getting some consumer feedback and, you know, validation and all of those sort of important things in the early days. But as you keep on growing, obviously you've got to keep on top of those trends and keep in communication with who your customers are so that you can ask them all of those critical and important questions as well. Do you um, leverage an emailing marketing list or how do you keep in touch with everybody that you're selling to? We're terrible. We don't do that. We should be doing that because people say like, we want to know what you're doing because we really like, really love your brand, not just because of the products. Like we don't want just like, this is our new product. We want to know like, what are you doing in the community and for the planet? 
it's really tough to be able to do all that stuff. Um, mm. It's really important, but I feel like we need another team member mm. at least to be able to do that. And I don't mm -hmm. have the capacity to do that. Yeah. 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 Um, it's definitely on our list, but yeah. uh, we try to like let people know what we're doing on Instagram as much as we can. Yeah. 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 Um, or on the website. Yeah. Yeah. No, good answer. I mean, at the end of the day, we've all got our capacity, you know, like our max capacity. Yeah. It sounds like you're pretty maxed out at the moment, hey? Yeah. And like this whole thing about being a mom on top of everything, like I just really like, it's a new, I just really want to do a good job at doing that. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, and that's like a big priority for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, just trying to figure out which battles you can win and where you mm -hmm. want to spend your time and how you want to spend your time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm still navigating. It's still a journey. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was speaking to Naya Shanalia from Switch Grocery on Ontario and, and both times that she was on the podcast, we spoke about the the balance that you have to strike while parenting and operating a business. And I had this conversation with um, Jackie Thomas from Lita's Mexican as well and uh, both of them said that yeah being an entrepreneur and being a mum is strenuous both emotionally and physically and the way that they obviously um, have managed to get on top of it is that they put time aside for themselves as well um, mm -hmm. whether it's a yoga or a gym session or a walk in nature or something along those lines is that something that you've um, been incorporating into your life to keep on top of it all too yeah I mean like that's like um our family mantra is like weekends is sacred. That's our yeah. family time. So, yeah. you know, farmer's markets are important, but mm. I can have a staff member that goes and yeah. does it for me. I don't need to be there and they're perfectly capable. They know the mm. brand inside out, you know, why should I not give them those hours and mm -hmm. me be able to take the time that I need with my family. So yeah. family, like family is everything. I don't work on the, I don't work in the evening. Mm. I don't work on the weekends and I don't care if the sales don't come because I'm not working on those, yeah. those periods of time that to me is way more important than sales leads or marketing or, yeah. um, you know, that's really important to hear for everybody out there as well, because like, you know, when you're growing a business, you do feel so tied to it. And I know that there is a huge factor of guilt that people have if they can't be working on their business. And some people get resentful, you know, because they have to be with their family and that that's just not a, a healthy, um, a healthy frame of mind to be in. Yeah. And I guess, you know, for me, the way that I try and keep balanced, and this is something that I'm actively working on as well, because I've got the kind of brain that the way that my brain functions is I've got a list of tasks in my head and mm -hmm. I find it really hard to be present and mm -hmm. in the moment because I'm constantly thinking of what I need to do next. And the one thing that I'm focusing on in life right now is being present with my kids and with my wife and, you know, um, not thinking about what I'm not doing right now, whether it's on the podcast or at work and stuff like that. And then, um, it'll always get done. Like what I find is like, yeah. even if it gets to a Sunday night and I still haven't put an episode out, I might be frustrated because I didn't get like an hour or two hours to work on the podcast over the weekend, but I'm like, it's, it's going to get done. Like it's going to happen. It's all good. Yeah. 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 And then like, I just kind of go back to like, um, the reason I started love the grub is because I went to a, a, a conference where mm -hmm. a fantastic, um, CNN anchor spoke. And she said three things that really rung to me. She said, live your life with passion, with purpose. Mm. She said, if you drop dead tomorrow, would you be proud of what you did for the world and other people? And she said, um, live your life for the people who cry at your funeral. Mm. And that last part really, yeah. really kind yeah. of rings true for me. And I'm just like, you know, if it were to end tomorrow, like 
what's my priorities in yeah. life? Like it's really my children. It's really yeah. my husband. It's yeah. really the time that I spend with them. I love the business. I'm not going to mm. say that I don't, mm. but like if I have to like put a hierarchy of needs for myself, mm-hmm. like I'm going to be prioritizing that as like the leading priority. And so, mm. um, the business is great and like, um, but if it gets in the way of being with my family, like, that's okay. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to happen. I know a lot yeah. of people like they put sales over like the stress yeah. of sales is, yeah. is really a lot. And it, it, I get it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like just prioritizing what means a lot to you and in, mm. in, in that moment and what's going to matter at the end of the life. Like I know that yeah. we don't really talk about that, but like, yeah. Well, yeah. I try to put that in perspective. My father died when he was 38. Oh wow. That's my age. Yeah. And so that always gives me a perspective of like, okay, if it were to end tomorrow, mm. um, what really matters at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of just like pushed me through my whole life. It's yeah. like that perspective when my dad died so, so oh my young. Gosh. Yeah. I'm so sorry yeah. to hear that. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. It was a sudden death. I was only five. And like, so um, it's kind of just helped me push through life and like, you know, what, what means a lot to me at different phases of life. And it's okay that it kind of, um, shifts and evolves and I'm just going to go with that shift and evolve, mm. um, and just prioritize that, like, you know, I'm not going to have any regrets at the end of the day, mm. you know, and what really matters, you know, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've lived and breathed, um, you know, out of the tragedy of losing your dad at such a young age, you know, the reason why you do want to prioritize family and the people that you love and why at the end of the day, yeah, running and operating a meaningful business is really important because it gives you drive and it gives you purpose. And, you know, as a parent and um, running a business, you're a great example for your kids as well. Um, but at the end of the day, unless you're spending time with them and you're prioritizing them, none of it matters. No, like the money doesn't matter. Like mm. I think, I mean, mm. it's great to have things like I will always meet their basic needs and yeah. you know what they need, but like yeah. there is no, there's no money value in giving time to your kids. No. Yeah. Right? Like I can put them in all the programs and give them all the, the things, but yeah. like the greatest thing that I can ever give them is time. Like mm. my time, my undivided, like full attention time. Mm. And, you know, I've got to center my whole life around that. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I do know. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother passed away two weeks ago. I'm so sorry. No, nah, that's okay. Thank you. Um, She was 92 and she led an amazing life. Yeah. And uh, so I'm writing a tribute. Her funeral is this Sunday. So I've sort of put pen to paper and, you know, because I am on the other side of the world, my family's gathering and mourning together and going through photos and, you know, going through the process of organizing the funeral, but I'm on the other side of the world. Um, and the way that sort of I'm processing her death and um, is that I'm putting pen to paper and writing this tribute for her. And it's been a really great process for me because I've been able to reflect on the life that she's had and the life that she's given me and all of her seven grandchildren. And uh, the one thing that when I draw it back to its most simplest form is she gave us unconditional love. And it's the greatest gift that you can ever give another human being because you're providing that person with love no matter what they do. There's no strings attached. You love that person you know, and um, with or without all of their faults, you know, and so that at the end of the day is also a gift to be able to give, you know, your kids like, and you know it as a parent, like you don't really know what unconditional love is as the recipient of it, because you, well, if you're lucky enough to be the recipient of unconditional love, you don't really understand it because Mm. it's just there. But when you have kids and, and you, you know what unconditional love is because you just see the good in your children and um, for who they are, 
no matter what they do, you will always love them. It's a, it's a hell of a gift and, you know, but it, it also comes with time. Like it's, it's good to love them unconditionally, but unless you're there to give it to them and for them to receive it, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's a struggle. Cause as parents, you're like, I have to work really hard. Cause I got to give them a great future. And so mm. in order to give them that great future, I've got to give them, you know, finances, but then, yeah. Yeah. You know, if I want them to to grow up and know that I love that, well, they'll always know that you love of you. Course. But like, yeah. they want if you want them to, you know, ha- know what it's like to be around you all the time. Yeah. You know, you yeah. also got to give them time, and so it's this yeah. balance because it's yeah. like I got to give them time, but I got to use my time to also make the money, mm. make money mm-hmm. to be able to give them so they can have this great life. And yes. so I know it's this ballot battle. It's a so balance. Yeah. It's a balance. Yeah. A hundred percent. Very but. good. I think that um, a lot of people will be nodding along and understanding what you and I are talking about right now. Cause I don't think we're the only ones that are sort of going through this and walking this line right now. I think it's yeah. an extremely common theme and thank you for having this conversation with me about it today, because I don't think it gets spoken about enough. So yeah, I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, mm. no, for sure. And I think that's kind of like why I keep um, doing things like teaching on the side Mm. is to give that stability. So I'm never really stressed about that business giving it to me. Yeah. 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 You mean Um, financial stability? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got that stability from like my part-time teaching and being involved with the university. And so I'm not like as stressed about having to work the weekend or the evening for sales. And it's, it's, it's a personal choice, but now my business also doesn't grow as fast. So, but that's, that's a choice that I made and and I'm, I'm I'm okay with that because at this point in my life, like I just want to be able to spend the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, like from an outsider's perspective. So when I was doing research on love the grub, you would never know that it wasn't something that you weren't spending all of your time and energy on. You've got a beautiful brand. It's showcased what, like it's got a world-class showcase to it, like the way that it's presented. The story is incredible. It's a business with impact. It's a quality product. Like it ticks all of the boxes. So from, you know, a consumer's perspective, when they see your product on the shelf or when they do some research and jump on your Instagram or jump on your website, they would have no idea. So, you know, you're doing all of the right things and you're prioritizing the right things for the business. So yeah, hats off to you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's growing and it's, it's we're very proud of what we're doing. But mm. I mean, I think you're the as a business owner, you always put so much pressure on yourself mm-hmm. and you're like, "Well, I could be doing so much more." Yep. And absolutely you could. Yep. You could always be doing so much more. Yeah. But we're I mean, I'm, I don't want to like you said, I don't want to take away from anything. Our team has worked really, mm. really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're in 85 stores, which is great. We're probably going to be in a lot more soon Yeah. that we just started with Dover 2 months ago. Mm. Um, and then we also started with GFS, which is really exciting. Oh, that's actually huge. Yeah. For yeah. Food it's a big service. deal. Yeah. yeah. So we were at their GFS food show just in, in, um, Vancouver. They were, they're so great with us. Yeah. They gave us two boots and I was like, wow, you're going to give it. They're like, yes, we want you to get exposure as much as you can. And so they mm. gave us two boots to like both on like the dropship program on, on the food service side of things, which yep. is really great. And then we're on amazon.com and .ca, which has oh, been wow. like moving really, really great for us. Yeah. Um, and we're part of their launch pad program. Um, and so it's been moving really well. The product moves. It's great, but yeah. like you always are like, I could do so much more, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so long as those orders life, are coming yeah, in. Okay. Good for you. Hey, listen, if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you had had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Oh my gosh. Um, the co-packer full and stream, like, you know, pro- products are just coming in and out of their facility with still mis- meeting our mission in a way that's meaningful for us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in a lot more stores, working to eliminate a lot more produce second waste um, by innovating more products, um, having a happy full team that's um, engaged in the work, but also meeting their own life objectives and their own ambitions as well. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, I mean, I think like I'm very much about like, yes, sales are great, but I just having a happy full team that's um, engaged in the work and it's not as stressed about getting products out the door as yeah, we are yeah. right now yep. is, is the biggest goal. Like, you know, and I think working with like a distributor, working with mm -hmm. a co-packer, mm -hmm. we're going to be working with a warehousing place where we just had a conversation the other day. Yep. Um, those will kind of help eliminate those like extra tasks that we do to mm. really focus and narrow in and like what we really love to do is tell the story, innovate new products, yep. get them in the hands of our customers, and then hopefully engage with them a lot more than we have been. Yep. Very good. Well, listen, they don't sound like lofty goals to me. I think that all of those things can be checked off in a 12 month period. I think you're going to be fine. Thank you. I no hope worries. so. Yeah, I you will. So. Hey, listen, um, if anybody wanted to follow along or get in touch and continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, lovethegrub.com um, or Aaliyah at lovethegrub.com. Um, and if you want to try some of our products, we've got, uh, you're going to be passing along just a discount code. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, that which I'll, I will mention in the uh, the intro as well. So everyone can get that. And if they scroll down into the show notes, they'll be able to get the uh, the promo code there too. Yeah, yeah. And I always welcome, welcome uh, LinkedIn messages. You know, happy to connect with other people in the food industry. We're navigating this very tough battle. It's always mm -hmm. changing and so, you know, having more brains on this and more hearts on this is, is always welcomed. And so um, that's the biggest thing that I think I we've been able to leverage is being able to pick other food entrepreneurs' brains and yep. also we're there for them as well. And so, yep. you know, 100% welcome that. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. I uh, really appreciate your authentic honesty and, and you going into so much detail on not only the business, but what's on your mind in life. And I think there's a lot to be taken away from this conversation for everybody listening today. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for just uh, letting me pour it out. It's a pleasure. No worries. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks a lot for joining us for today's hour with Aaliyah. Um, that was a great conversation, wasn't it? And I'm sure if any of you have got any questions or would like to continue the conversation, you can jump online and find me on LinkedIn. I'll be putting up a post for this episode early in the week. Um, so head along to Hayden Thompson, that's T-H-O-M-S-O-N. And if any of you have got any feedback regarding anything on this podcast or you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you with your packaging or packaging equipment, you can shoot me an email at Hayden at the Pack Heavy podcast.com. I'll see you next week.